episode 11 from the 52 weeks of reefing simple ways to create the perfect aquascape man do we have a lot of good information that's coming to mind now this day and age than we had before uh starting with our core belief so the core belief here if you believe this one come along for the journey if you don't check out uh <laughs> or maybe you'll learn something else uh, new year but I think this is probably for most people. I think they're probably ready for this. Mm. An aquascape is for our eyes. A habitat is about caring for the pets. And you can have both. <laughs> yeah. Right? You yeah. don't have to be one or the other. But that is the core belief that I'm building an aquascape at this point. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be elaborate to, to fit this. You don't have to spend 20 hours trying to like build the perfect HMSA. You just have to think about this uh, in this frame of mind. You could probably create it using anything you want, stacking it, the wall method, anything. Um, it's an aquascape though is very much for our eyes. We're building something beautiful. Yeah, visually appealing a lot, especially like, okay, think of the freshwater too and like the aquascape and uh, of like a freshwater planted tank. Those things are designed for the eye. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not designed around a very specific species of fish that I want to keep or multiple species of fish. Uh, they're just, they're pieces of art. Uh, often they don't even have any fish. Yeah, aquascape is art and habitat is what you find when you go to Zeus. Exactly. Yeah. When I heard the word habitat for the first time, I, like, I started to process it. I'm like, you know what? When you go to a zoo, mm -hmm. they're very, very, they're not called aquascapes or whatever. No. They're, each one of them is a little habitat. It's a habitat. It's the so-and-so habitat. It's the other so-and-so habitat. Yeah. Yeah. And depending on the quality of the zoo, the quality of the habitat goes with it, right? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, you can tell though right away the people that really paid attention, you know, the best zoos out there that mm -hmm. like decided to make this habitat, you know, beautiful, powerful, and appropriate for the animal that lives in it. And the one I've shared before, but I'm gonna share again, it really comes to mind is the tiger that I saw yeah. in the big island of Hawaii. I happened to go to the zoo there. Uh, if you ever get a chance, go. It was pretty cool. But they have these white uh, tigers there. And the white tiger actually had, uh, I was watching it, and it wasn't following like a specific path. You know, normally you see these animals like kind of trounce back mm. and forth, and yeah. there's some big rut of where it goes. And then I asked the zookeeper, like, why is it? And he said, all we had to do to make sure that wasn't the case is we built it into a hill where if he lifts up his head at any point in time, he can't see the entire area and he has to go inspect to make sure there's no other tigers here. Yeah. And that was the thing that keeps it interesting for him uh, and prevents him from essentially going out of his mind, you know, <laughs> creating a rat. I'm like, well, he really thought about what this animal needs and its normal behavior, applied it and produced a much better result. Mm. We can do that in our tanks as well. So core belief here, an aquascapes for our eyes, habitats about caring for our pets. You can have both. What do we believe matters most? First thing we believe matters most about ah, the perfect aquascape uh, habitat means safety and shelter. So both of those, it's not, uh, this one you know, is one that you found in 360 is uh, with the, after seeing the fish in, engage in the tank where you had an aquascape, not necessarily a habitat uh, or a habitat for those types of fish. Um, but w as soon as you put the little HNSA little uh, homes that you built, these little tiny pieces and whatnot, immediately 
fish swam in there and now they're safe, the shelter, happy fish. You know, so I had overhangs and stuff and I thought that, you know, that was kind of it enough, mm. you know, they could kind of huddle under there. Uh, and it just turns out like that, you know, shelter and safety for a lot of fish means I'm kind of surrounded by on three sides. Yeah. You know, that oh. they can kind of go in something and feel comfortable. And then what we found is like the first reaction is, well, I don't want that. I don't want to have my fish hiding from me all the time. It's actually, we're finding the opposite is that happy, you know, healthy fish that feel like they have safety and security tend to swim in the water more often (laughs) because they have the place to go when they're not, and they're not getting harassed by all the other fish. And actually we saw this first, and I think this isn't necessarily an aquascape, but it is habitat Mm. in relation to the uh, clown harem series where we had enough of the rose bubble tip and enemies in there that like they would chase each other around, but they all had so much habitat, nobody yeah. really cared about anybody else's, you know? <laughs> and so the same thing when we built these habitat-based structures is if you can put enough holes, enough nooks and crannies in, in there, that you'll actually find safer, happier, more secure fish that will also be less stressed, less prone to uh, spreading disease around, less prone to uh, uh, mortalities, less prone to just killing each other, Mm. right? And you'll have higher rates of introduction too. So like when I add a new fish to the tank, there won't, there'll be excess amount of habitat and shelter that when the fish needs to, it'll go find one that isn't already housed by by somebody else, (laughs) right? Uh, You're just gonna have a whole different trajectory if you think about what the animal needs and provide that for it as well. Uh, next one, believe matters most. For many tanks, the aquascape, the beauty or architecture uh, of the tank. So the aquascape ties it together. Okay, you know what? Sometimes you don't want that many fish. Right. Like, so we've seen those ones where like somebody built like almost like a tree of corals, right? Yep. Yeah, you know, they build out the branches and then they plant all the corals on it. And it becomes like a big floating tree or something cool like that. Uh-huh. And the only thing in there is like one yellow tank. <laughs> Well, you know what, man? Like in that environment, habitat really isn't very important. No. So decide what it is you're trying to achieve here because if the only thing is I want a beautiful, stunning aquascape that is really powerful looking and uh, I want a lot of negative open space, well, just don't add, you know, 80 fish to that tank and you'll probably be good. Mm. So, you know, you find the balance between these things. If I want a lot of fish, you'll have higher success rates or higher percentage success rates if I find that I provide the shelter and security that these fish want. Uh, and when habitat doesn't necessarily only apply to fish either. We're talking there's habitat for corals too. So mm-hmm. you think about the way that you plan out those types of aquascapes uh, for corals and coral growth and less capable warfare in between the two. Uh, what we believe matters most is epoxy is best on dry rock. Found that one out uh, with a drop in uh, aquascapes uh, onto the ground at a foot and uh, upwards of five feet. And uh, also found that uh, epoxy is not the solution on wet rock. You know, it's so funny. I, I hated epoxy, man. My only experience with epoxy up until like a couple of weeks ago was like trying to push it into wet rock underwater and all it does is like deteriorate never sticks <laughs> the way apart, i want yeah. it takes forever to cure uh it uh, is uh, the skimmers going nuts and like is it killing the fish no but like 
whatever is in the water that's like clouding it up and making the skimmer go crazy mm. probably isn't great for the fish's gills. Uh, <laughs> maybe not toxic, man, but like, I don't know. There's nothing about the whole epoxy thing that I liked. And then uh, when I found the like the coral gum from tunes like that, I'm never going back. Yeah, for under underwater. None, but, none of that stuff happens, cures fast, all the other stuff. But when you're uh, aquascaping dry rock, and especially when you're making uh, the HNSAs and the impossible angles and uh, you know all of the weight of this uh, thing being supported back here on this single joint, uh, when, you, when you're able to put epoxy underneath and smash into the crevices and the nooks and the crannies and then it cures in you know a matter of minutes and now that is a stable strong bond that you can't hardly break not only that but even uh because it's underneath the those joints it naturally hides it uh 100 epoxy you can't get mortar up in there unless you unless you make it really thick and then sling it in there and then uh, it drips out. It's a mess, yeah. Okay, in fact, when we were creating uh, one of the the, uh, eight, the first HNSA, mm. uh, I was back there slathering all of this cement on there or or mortar and it's like, oh God, we're just mixing and I forgot how big a pain in the ass because it, it, it turns to rock so quickly. Yeah, it does. And uh, like it's, you have to find that perfect consistency. And even if you measure it out and I use grams and a certain amount of water, it never like, it's always this mess, man, trying to go back and forth. I'm looking for the perfect peanut butter thing because if it's too dry it gets crumbly it's too wet it's sloppy <laughs> and i'm like in the right in the middle of starting that i'm like oh god i hate this and then i watched your video that came out literally that week and i'm like oh my god why epoxy i'm not using we tried one and we're like well, you know dave smushed them up he gave it to me like where you been my whole life <laughs> I, I like i i just like dry rock wet i still hate it Dry though, this is the way. Mm. And then when we built the most recent uh, uh, aquascape that we gave away in the dream tank, you know, I was able to secure that whole thing using epoxy almost exclusively just from the bottom where yeah. I didn't have to cover it up anymore. Yep. And then under the bottom, uh, when you put it into all the crevices, you don't even see it. You don't even have to hide it. Yeah. It's, it's so well smooshed into everything. You know, roll it up into a little tube, pack it in there, and you're done. And like we found that the sea cam cures in about five minutes and the two little fishes is about 20 minutes. If you have a partner with you doing it, I think the five minutes is best. <laughs> if you're doing it all your own, probably 20 minutes is best. Yeah. So, and one's darker, but they both cover really easy. So I think that, uh, yeah, man, epoxy is your best friend if you want to do this. Is it more expensive? absolutely more expensive <laughs> but a it's lot of super strong and it's way easier to do yeah so in fact you know like for some people just the cheapest is the only thing but in this case i think you could probably shave off five six hours of work by using epoxy over the mortar and have a more desirable result in the end and so the hundred bucks in epoxy may very well be worth it uh, speaking of cheap, uh, cheap option, uh, what we believe matters most is uh, mortar is the cheapest on dry rock. And I mean, the bucket of uh, Marco mortar, purple or gray or what have you, it makes a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think I used only half for my mom's entire aquascape on her 120. Yeah. I'll give two things to mortar. So the mortar, you get the same result as you can get an epoxy. Is it as strong as the epoxy? 
I don't think it fits into all the nooks and crannies the same way. Mm. Uh, so, and you can apply it as perfectly to all the areas. So probably not as strong, but definitely strong enough, yeah. right? So use the mortar. The one thing that it really does well though, uh, if you go look actually at uh, the original NSA, is you can use it to fill in some of the holes mm. on the uh, on the Marco rock, because it's usually so porous. Mm -hmm. And it gives it kind of more smooth ledge like an appearance. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, and so like when you look at the Haitian rock that's in my tank at home, it has that smooth like like plating type appearance to it mm -hmm. and you can actually fill in those holes with the mortar and I didn't do that on purpose I was actually doing that because I wanted to slather it on the top and it just kind of went over on the edges <laughs> and you know so be it uh, but eventually you can kind of see like oh well wouldn't it be look a little bit better if I filled in those couple holes too because they look uh, anomaly but mm -hmm. now I got these nice smooth nice you know arms on the thing <laughs> so you can use the mortar for multiple things but definitely definitely it is if you're looking for if you're a little extra works okay it's definitely cheaper yeah that's a uh, another point too is the mortar uh, textures easier. And, and yeah. so epoxy you found one of the drawbacks, one of the th reasons that we weren't talking about epoxy, you know, and, and you weren't considering epoxy in the first place is the experiences that we had with it. My experience too was using it underwater. And when I smashed that, that epoxy into the joints of the rock and it's wet and, uh, and then I put it back under the water, guess what's left over? My thumbprint is right in the epoxy and now it cures that way. It's yeah. smooth. Yeah, and then I used mortar, you know, I used mortar on dry rock and found that uh, oh, yeah, the texture's really there and you kind of did the same thing. Well, then they're out of that bread, the hi uh, hybrid of taking the epoxy, smashing it in place, and then you take a little piece of rock rubble and you smash it and imprint into the epoxy, guess what? It looks like a piece of regular rock when it dries. Yeah. All you need to do is give it some irregular surface and then it will hide the moment that you uh, put that liquid general bonding glue and then throw some of the sand or rock dust it on like it. Regular it's regular texture. Man. You'll yeah. never even know. Like you can look at this whole aquascape, you can't <laughs> see it from behind us, but like you can't see a single piece of where one thing started and the other, not a single smooth piece of yeah. epoxy. And it's so easy. Some chunks look like, oh, that's a single rock that you picked. And then you're like, no, that's about six, six pieces. You yeah. wouldn't even get, you wouldn't guess. You'd yeah. never know. Mm. Yeah. I mean, even the whole thing to some degree. Yeah. Uh, all right. For wet rock though, our belief here, what is right? What is the best for wet rock? Super glue is the best for wet wet rock. And again, from uh, the investigates test that I did, you know, you soaked. We soaked some rocks for a while. Then we took them out, uh, applied all different adhesives, mortar, super glue, epoxy, hybrid type of sandwiches, all kinds of stuff. Uh, put them back together, and the ones that actually ended up holding the best because, and I believe it's because cyanoacrylate uh, cures be through moisture was the uh, super glue. Yeah, so uh, out of water, super glue, using the, you know, whatever gel you wanna use. Uh, underwater, uh, make sure you don't use bottles because if you let up on it a little bit, it'll suck water into it. There goes your whole bottle. Yeah, the whole bottle's <laughs> ruined. What you wanna use is the like 20 gram tubes that, you know, when you squeeze it, it's like the little mm -hmm. aluminum tubes or whatever yep. they are. Yep. Uh, but yeah, if you're gonna do aquascaping, I will find not only is the super glue stronger for wet surfaces than mm. epoxy or cement, 
but it also hides much better because you're not going to come back and cover it in dust or whatever, yeah. right? And glue, and you're going to go through those mm -hmm. elaborate steps and wet rock. So, you know, glue, you can actually you know, get balls of the glue or you can get it in areas and it has a little nozzle on it. You can form it around areas and not have it. And it's clear. It's like the part about the epoxy uh, is that the cement doesn't work on, on wet anything yeah. at all. But the part about the epoxies is gray might look best on dry rock today. The lightest gray being maybe that seachem stuff today. Mm -hmm. But eventually the rock is going to turn purple and then the gray doesn't look good. And a lot of times the, the coralline doesn't grow on the epoxy. So walk quite a while. Yeah. And you just see this. And, like, and you if you see use a purple, purple, purple on white rock looks ungodly <laughs> awful. I would never in a million years. <laughs> you have that. to wait until uh, it uh, catches up. It just, I mean, for the next two years, all you're going to see is this. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, super glue on wet rock uh, is probably the best solution. Uh, this is, uh, you know, the people that always add, that ask the question, so I've had my rock curing for however many months, or I bought, I listened to what you guys said, and I said the first time I'm thinking about setting up a tank, I, I buy my rock right then and there and get it soaking and then stuff like that. Well, uh, now we're saying, you know, you spend some time on the aquascape and do it dry. So if I followed our advice and I started cycling my rock and that, yeah, now I have to. Now I want to build an aquascape out of it, super glue because it's already wet. So I'm going to amend, amend that council now. Mm -hmm. And the council, like, because at the time when we were talking about that, like, it wasn't really a priority for me to build a aquascape that could be removed. Yeah. And now with these HNSAs, one of the things I like the most about it is I can remove the whole thing without worrying about, can I, do I have to stack it back together? Can I get a fish out? Can I get whatever out? Can I move this tank around the house or to a new location in a different house or to the office or whatever I want to do with it? Having a single aquascape makes that so much easier. Yeah. So I'm going to amend that advice to cycling the rock uh, ahead of time to don't cycle the rock, Build the aquascape. Buy your rock, build the aquascape, cycle the aquascape. Cycle that when yeah. you do the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, you just hit, we just, you just hit on the next one. What we believe matters most is build the aquascape to be removed just yeah. for those very purposes. Like the, the dream tank giveaway, the dream uh, reef giveaway, the aquascape that you built, three pieces. Uh, the E170 is one, one where this lesson would have been learned, uh, uh, was, this is kind of where we learned the lesson was, uh, you know, there's fish in there that we wanted to get out. Uh, hard to do when all the rock is just stacked on top of each other. And the E-170 is fully groaned out. You know, there's there's large, beautiful colonies. It, removing any one piece of rock would ruin the whole thing. Putting it back together would be even more difficult. Uh, however, if we would have just done one structure, built it to be removed, we could have easily picked that whole thing up, corals and all, caught the fish, drop it right back in, and everybody's hunky-dory. So and there's another uh, issue that we run into now, which is the uh, XXL 750. We have like the first generation of that tank from Red Sea. Mm. And uh, as anybody else who bought that tank in the beginning knows that that one had a problem because it didn't support the front pane proper. Mm. And so that thing has a, a weak spot and some of these things are failing. You know, these are, this is a five-year-old tank. big tank too. I, I would like to solve that problem, right? 
But we the tank is just now coming into itself. Actually, I guess it's only like three years, but mm. like it's just now coming into itself. Mm -hmm. We had some hurdles in the beginning and now like it was really like a lot of the, the corals are like now colonies in there. But if I want to move that thing, this to a new tank, even if it was the exact same size tank, I can't. We cannot take all of that rockscape out and have it stacked back, we're gonna have mortalities for sure. It'll never look it's the same. Catastrophic destabilizing event. It would be a major setback for that tank. If we had three rock structures in there that look like they're intertwined, but all removable by themselves, we would lift it out, put it into a horse trough, probably most of the corals, anything that didn't get bumped would be yeah. just fine. Put it, get us, get the exact same new updated tank, throw it in place, plumb it, put the put back, it back in. in. There's so many instances, mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if you're doing the HNSA, you're doing just stacking rock. If you can build it in a manner where it's strong enough with the epoxy or mortar or whatever you're using so that you could lift it out, there's so many points in your journey where you'll say, man, am I I'm glad, glad I made I that, that step. <laughs> uh, you'll never regret that you did that no, step. No, I don't think so. You'll never like, oh, that was a total giant yeah. waste oh, of time. Man, I want to really yeah. move that piece of rock up to there now. Uh, no. I will never, I no matter I how I do it, ever build an aquascape that can't be removed uh, <laughs> as either one piece or single intertwining pieces uh, that can go in and out of the tank the exact same way that they uh, went in. Yep. All right, next one. Uh, believe matters most is build it for flow. And we had talked about this yesterday uh, in the f flow episode where we went back over the flow and uh, you know, the, the good thing about, so the, HN, the HNSAs that you're kind of building and, and these things are one made with the fish and the habitat in mind, made with the aesthetic appeal of an aquascape in mind. But inherently with that comes the uh, built for flow too, because it's, uh, uh, you know, it's NSA was the negative space aquascape. Then the HNSA is the habitat negative space aquascape. Those that N and the S are part of the acronym being negative space makes it designed for flow in mind. Yeah, the more open area, the more flow there will be, the more areas you can put it in. The big one for me is actually getting flow behind the rock mm -hmm. work uh, and opening up all, all everything that that does. In fact, I remember when Joe from Unique Corals was here doing the aquascape on the 750, what he did is put cardboard in the back of it as a reminder like, to this never is a touch. No, no zone. <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. ever touch the cardboard because we need to be able to have flow behind. And this is a guy that, you know, unique corals, uh, I think it's Manhattan Reefs. Mm -hmm. You know, he has uh, coral farms in LA, one of the most successful people. And every single person that I've talked to will tell you about the benefits of getting flow in and around as many areas as humanly possible. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and not having dead spots all over the tank. So well, that, that brings to mind, you know, building this, uh, going back to the core belief here of uh, an aquascapes for our eyes, habitats for the pets. Corals are living creatures. They are pets, essentially. And, mm -hmm. and when you're building for a habitat for your corals and a habitat focused uh, environment for corals, uh, yesterday's conversation about flow uh, and how, you know, flow is more important and one of the more important things uh that's uh where building these aquascapes you know you're keeping the the habitat of the coral in mind uh because they need that flow so 
I can put corals in here. I'm going to keep looking over here because that HNSA is, is over there. But uh, you can put corals anywhere in there and trust that it will have the proper amount of flow that it needs. Yeah, never, never, never will worry about that problem. So when you're building it, think about, you know, the habitat, think about the flow, think about how the visual looks. Uh, but also think the next one, what we believe matters most is stability. And that's really kind of how it down to the, like the newer entries of the foundation rock, which means rock that's been machined flat on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And what that rock allows you to do is like, you know, people talk all the time about like, should I put it on, stack the rock on top of the stand, sand? Should I put it on the bottom of the sand? Will it settle out? Will it fill in? Blah, blah, blah. blah. Well, the reality is, is I want this flat surface on the bottom of the tank, like on the glass, right? ABS. Yeah, uh, uh, or ABS, yeah, whatever. It, I want it on the bottom of the tank. I want this, you know, big flat surface that doesn't rock or roll and the bigger the better it'll attach on one area this foot will act as a lever to hold all the weight i would never build an aquascape without the foundation pieces again and some of them are really thin they're only an inch or so mm -hmm. thick and so a lot of it will actually be hidden by the sand as the sand goes over the top of it so you won't even see it in many cases but you'll see the structure will be really, really sound and will never topple over. Yeah. So uh, just relying on round surfaces that kind of roll around and settle out. Uh, why? <laughs> yeah, there's a better way. Uh, another thing we believe matters most is you're not stuck with boulders. Uh, that's the way Marco Ruck comes to you. That's the way all rock has been delivered up till then. And, and you know, they, uh, you, when I f would get rock, I'd be like, man, these are the pieces I'm stuck with. And I know I can break up a few chunks and get different, you know, sh uh, angles and pieces on it, but you took it to the next level and broke them up into tiny little pieces, reassembled them all back together. You know, it's funny. I guess like, I've you were been, probably good at Legos. Well, I've kid. been doing this actually now. <laughs> if you go watch it, like, do you remember the video where, where we pound, use a chisel and a hammer to mm -hmm. carve holes through Bukhani? Yeah. Yeah, so like we've been doing this stuff for ages, you know, it's just like different rocks give you different uh, abilities, but the Pukani was kind of you know, softer oh, yeah, and porous. Soft. And so with a chisel and a hammer, like a, a fine, like a wood chisel, you could take a piece and like carve an entire hole all the way through the middle and maintain the, the whole structure. Mm -hmm. Or I could take a big boulder and then carve out a big, huge concave to create an, an overhang with it. And so you're not stuck with what you get. You can actually create what you want. Now with uh, you know, the Marco rock, you can break it up and create whatever the hell you want. <laughs> and, like, you can make any structure that you'd yeah, ever any want. Any shape, size. Just break it up, put it back together. <laughs> Make a little stick figure. Guys. I will say there is a little bit of the, you have to be good at Legos. Uh, a, a little bit of memory. There's like a, a design aspect to it, a creativeness, a uh, creativity aspect to it too. Uh, um, maybe if I, if I put my mind to it, I could probably come up with something, but you have more patience than I do. Well, you know what actually is, uh, there's true inspiration of doing it yourself. And then there's also just emulating others, yeah. right? And so you can go watch our aquascapes and say, it's different to like decide like, I'm gonna create this idea out of my head. Or I can just say, you know what? I like that one. I'm gonna try my best to make it emulate that. It will always deviate to your own thing. But that's what in the, in the last video on how to do the HNSA, I asked everybody when you build one, 
upload a video of it uh, or show it on Facebook or Instagram with the hashtag HNSA, and other people will be able to see what you created as inspiration mm. for their own. So, uh, you know, another good part about using doing it in the fashion that you do with little tiny bits is uh, you start to build it and you go, man, I really hate that spot or I hate that piece. Break that chunk off. Break it right off. Easy. Start over. <laughs> Start over. Uh, Go I a mean, different direction with it. Yeah, I mean, it's just just, just chisel yeah. and hammer. It, it's a, a very interesting. So, like, I would say most shoulders. people were just stacking rock for most of Me? the twenty years I've been doing this. Well, so, like, I don't think you know, I did close to anyway. I don't think I didn't do anything other than try the metal rod uh, or the fiberglass rod trick I to make an that. overhang. Yeah, I hated <laughs> that method. It was uh, it's really hard. No. Uh, all right. So another piece, uh, what matters most here is consider subhabitats. Yeah, the little right? uh, little. You know, people say, "Oh, there are." A lot of times, when you want a coral, you know, you have a coral that's going to spread like crazy. You put it on an island, uh, but you you can turn those islands, or you could just uh, like you had. Uh, was Anthea's that you needed needed a home and didn't really have a, a space in your Tahitian, uh, you know, aquascape in there. Build them a little uh, kind of igloo, HNSA, tiny little structure, drop it in. They live there now. Yeah, so all you need is a bunch of rubble and just kind of layer it together and there'll be little holes just all like over the place. Guy. And visually, out from the outside, it'll actually just look like uh, an island, mm -hmm. right? But it's actually just a network of little holes. And your asses will live in there. Uh, you'll see like chromis and stuff that would normally live in. The acros will like all swarm into it. And, you know, a lot of like community type fish will live those things. So if you have like a NSA and you just don't want to fill all that space in, create little habitats somewhere else in the tank. You can actually <laughs> just lean them up against the rock too. And actually I found that I could build those little uh, like uh, mini habitats. And stack I, them on top of each other? Well, I found if I put them onto areas of the rock, the aquascape already built, it actually finished. It was like a finishing touch on many <laughs> cases. So, you know, consider that you have little islands and subhabitats would be great for corals that you just don't want to spread, mm -hmm. but also great for little colonies of fish or, or wrasses as well. Okay. Uh, another thing we believe matters most is the highest percentage results come from inspiration uh, or, or emulation. So uh, if this is your first rodeo, like I just said a moment ago, go find an aquascape out there, Google it, Google the HNSA, Google just aquascaping, whatever it is, and say, that one speaks to me. Go try, try to, to create build it. something mm -hmm. like that, or, or take elements from it for yourself, because you know, it, stacking rock, nobody needed help with. Stack all the rock <laughs> out and make a big wall. Nobody really needed no, help with that. No. Uh, but if you want to create something really cool and interesting, and you've never done it before, often the highest percentage results of something you'll be really happy and proud of will come from the inspiration of the people that have done it before you, uh, especially the ones that have done it really well. If you're inspired by the HNSA or the NSA, we've got two one-hour-long videos how to do them. Yeah, well, the one is uh, like literally, man, we walk through every last step and it is like 50 minutes. But <laughs> like it's the it's the finer details that really help you succeed in this case. Yeah. So uh, let's share them all. Uh, next thing we believe matters most is this is all why a deeper and tall tank is better for a reef. That deeper meaning front to back uh, than it is tall uh, being better than uh, for the reef. 
Yeah, so reef tanks, I don't know why, but so many of them are the same dimensions mm -hmm. as they are tall, and many of them are actually like not as deep. They're only 18 inches and they're 24 inches tall. It makes for a really crappy aquascape in most mm -hmm. cases. It's really hard to create that depth. I will tell you, working on uh, uh, the Dream Tank one, which is uh, 29 inches deep and 22 tall, mm. was a dream. It allowed <laughs> for so many more changes, our, our like sense of depth and like how the the aquascape could just kind of sprawl mm. instead of just being this like wall that you'd have to like build, look for height everywhere. Build up, yeah. Yeah, and so I think anybody that's ever had a tank that was deeper front to back than tall will tell you they really, really, really like it. <laughs> uh, and so, and it's usually experienced reefers because I don't know why, but like there aren't that many deep dimension tanks uh, out there, especially, you know, in various grades, like they they exist like in marine lands and yeah. stuff, but like, yeah. you know, the Red Seas and the water boxes and stuff of the world don't really make them mm. that I'm aware of anyway. Uh, and so they don't really exist in a common format. Uh, and so you have to get them custom, which makes it expensive. Yeah. Uh, hopefully somebody will start making more like reef ready, really. Yeah. Like, the, do redefine the term reef ready to mean deeper front to back than tall. Yeah. Plus, I, I plus your uh, overflows. Already but uh, when you're building habitat, you're building a really beautiful, powerful aquascape deep deeper front to back is, is how you're going to do it. <laughs> okay. Hard lessons on aquascaping, starting with uh, a couple days now will pay for years to come. So a lot of people uh, we've shared uh, the past and they're like, well, I've never spent that much time on it. Actually, even you said that. <laughs> no, yeah. I still don't think I could. <laughs> but here's the thing is like they got easier each time. And mm -hmm. the last one took me about 20 hours to do. And yeah, 20 hours sounds like a lot. Uh, but at the same time, I'm going to be looking at this thing, hopefully for five, six plus years, man. Like I'm going to be looking for a long time. And every time I see it and somebody says, man, that's cool. A little shot to my pride. Right? <laughs> like, like, ah, oh, yeah, I did that. And you know, that was really fun. Actually, it was something I really enjoyed. And so it's a hobby. It's yeah. not a race. I'm not here like trying to get to the finish line as fast as possible. In fact, in some cases, I wish the finish line was a little further out so I could enjoy the other steps along the way. Mm -hmm. So, huh. you know, obviously you don't always agree with this I, one. This one is, I, I don't know if I have the patience to spend a week on an aquascape. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's funny, man, because it's to each their own. Yeah. Like, I couldn't do it any other way. And we've had this conversation 15 times now. And like, <laughs> nope, I'm not going to do it that way. So I think that probably the audience here and all the other reefers listening are probably thinking half, a few on, half the other way. a few on, on both sides. Yeah. Uh, another hard lesson learned, and it's sitting right behind me, is that uh, half of the tank rule for SPS. If, if you plan on having the SPS, SPS-dominated system, uh, like the 160 back here, uh, don't scape higher than half of the tank it's super hard you're going to struggle with it it looks like it looks empty and weird and foreign for the first i mean even the 750 xxl right now still looks like what's missing here because it looks empty yeah you just it's going to be really hard but then one day uh the colonies like you had a 24 inch tall tank you probably don't really want it within three or so inches of the top anyway mm. it's 21 inches uh, and if I went to half, man, 
eventually going to have eight inch colonies on the top. Now it looks empty when they're one inch nubbins, you yeah. know, but like you don't want them growing out of the water, man. Uh, and so uh, you want water flow around and in and throughout. Well, it's challenging. Uh, it, it looks empty it's, though. Well, yeah. And now, I mean, you look at the 160 and it's completely jam packed full. And But there's a challenge now with uh, all of that, you know, the top of the corals that are above the surface of the water, they're, they are uh, algae magnets when it comes to like algae, you know, needs bone, uh, like non-tissue material to grow on and start to take over. So when you, uh, all of that stuff that's raising up to the surface and dying because of, of course, it can't grow out of the water, now holds on to little bits of algae and whatnot. And then flow is extremely difficult once they reach that high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another hard lesson for me was uh, the rod method just isn't worth it. I'd be curious <laughs> to hear what you what you felt about it, uh, but I just didn't feel like it was worth my time. It was way more effort than needed. I, I had a guy, uh, I mean, I made some really nice overhangs with it before, but uh, trying to attempt that now with uh, the rock that's available the, the most, which is like the, the Marco type rock. Uh, it was easy when I was using Fiji and Pukani uh, because the stuff is so easy to drill through and it's soft and uh, you know, I could drill a hole, drill a hole, cut a piece of fiberglass rod and stick it in there together and call it a day. Uh, Marco rock, yeah, a little harder to kind of work with like that. But So Marco rock tends to explode uh, when you're trying to drill through mm. it, especially if you use a hammer drill. Uh, and the Fiji, or the Pukani was like butter, right? Uh, the Fiji to me, man, actually was really hard to drill through too. Mm. It, like it would, it would burn up, you know, masonry <laughs> bits. Yeah. Uh, here is the part that I, I didn't like is that and you got two rocks and you're trying to like stack them in this perfect way. And so you'd have to have somebody hold the thing in the perfect way and then drill the rod through at a like parallel line or a straight line. Mm. And inevitably it never did that. And so like the hole would end up being at a different angle. And so the resulting rock would be at a different angle. And ultimately I was just like, I don't know, this is a lot of work. And now when I look at it, like for, Avoiding five dollars in epoxy, <laughs> I'll pay the five bucks for some epoxy, man. Yeah, be, and, and it's like more really than adequate for the purpose. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure there's some people out there that love the rod method. For me, I just don't believe in it. And I wouldn't use it. There's so many better ways yeah. that uh, produce a better result with lower frustration, especially with uh, today's type of rocks well, now, available. Now, when I see the uh, the impossible overhangs of the HMSAs and stuff like that and how are you got how to get there with epoxy and glue and insta set and all of this and then going back and hiding all the joints I, I would never do a rod again it's for sure mm -hmm. uh, uh, the next one uh, hard lesson learned was that dry live rock has a nutrient sink yeah, so dry live rock, uh, well, we found, and you don't really see it very much anymore, no. right? was a hard lesson, was things like Pukani mm. seemed to have like an almost never-ending nutrient sink in it. And, oh, it's like uh, people would, it's, it's a, like a nutrient battery, right? And uh, there's so many times where the question was asked is like, uh, or that uh, comment or that, the, that discussion thread on the forums would happen where, my my rock is causing my phosphate issue. My rock is leaky, leaching phosphates, leaching phosphates, leaching phosphates. Yeah, it was. You know what? I, we found this out like towards the end of its availability. Yeah. Right? 
And like, I don't know, I read somewhere that like a phosphate has uh, combined with the calcium or whatever it does on the rock surface, it's probably going to be permanently bound up there. It's not going to be constantly releasing or whatever. Mm. And then I read later that that isn't true. You know? <laughs> and, and this is the nature of actually, I didn't seek out a scientist in this. I was reading what was properly believed by the reefing community, mm. which was like flipping back and forth. Right, right, you know? right. I probably sort of sought out a chemist. Uh, but uh, what I found right before the stuff started to dissipate was we went and cured a bunch of it. And like my thought process was always that the nitrate and phosphate came from the organics because there was like sponges and mm. crabs and crap all over in the stuff. Right? Yeah, especially Pucani, that's super yep. porous, meaning that these small organics uh, still linger deep inside. Okay, so we would we tried a bunch of different ways. We cured it with water, mm -hmm. we cured it uh, with acid, we cured it with bleach. And by the way, bleach is by far the best method of getting the organics off the Oxidizes rock. Oxidizes the heck out of it. Yeah, just oxid, like, like acid sounds like, right? But it actually just eats some of the surface of the rock. 30% loss. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really sharp. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the uh, uh, bleach that actually oxidized all the organics off. But what we found is, eventually you'll hit the point where it no longer adds nitrate to the tank. And that meaning to me that uh, the organics, whatever organics were there, were broken down. But man, the phosphate. Still. <laughs> yeah, like you'd add the, you would, I would get a phosphate reading, and then it, it was, I don't remember what it would get to, but it would get to like 0.1, and then it would stay there. It wouldn't go any higher than that. Yeah. And then we'd do a 100% water change, and then we'd go back up to 0.1, and then it would stay there. It wouldn't get any higher. And we do 100% water change, and it is slowly go back up to 0.1 and stay there. And like, I don't really know the mechanism of what was happening there, but mm -hmm. apparently there was some kind of equilibrium of phosphate in the water and whatever stuck to the rock that it found its way to around <laughs> 0.1. I, and I, I'm just theorizing here, to be honest, but like it became a moot point quickly after, after Fiji shut down the export of yeah, uh, Bukani. There's nothing left. But this is probably, you, know, you could point fingers at uh, Pukani like, oh, well, that must be bad. Well, eventually every piece of rock you put in your tank is going to have that same kind of thing, man. The phosphate is going to get bound to its surface the same way it did mm. in the ocean. Uh, and it's probably going to have a very similar result. Mm. I can't, I mean, they're just calcium chloride or calcium carbonate based structure. So what magic thing about that one's different than another, <laughs> especially because phosphate's at such a higher concentration in our tanks than it is in the ocean. Uh, I don't know. Mm. You know what would be different, though, is because the phosphate that's bound up in the Bucani was actually, it's like Pacillopora, mm -hmm. I think, skeleton. Yeah. Uh, and then often what we're using now is a man-made, or not man, like a, a million-year-old mind rock. Yeah, yeah. it's been uh, under a lot of pressure, heat, all kinds of stuff. And I never get any phosphate. That one, the the, the mine stuff, like I've, we've never gotten a phosphate reading out of using new stuff, curing it, doing mm -hmm. all the things. So the only way would be if it like pulled it out of the water, bound it up, and then re-released it some other day. Yeah. It's possible, but the stuff that was coming from the uh, Pukani was the fact that it was probably built into its skeleton as it was growing mm -hmm. to begin with. Yeah. Uh, another hard lesson learned here is uh, promoting Coraline is the best way to outcompete many issues. Uh, Coraline's on it. Algae can't be on the Coraline. 
the coralline will prevent a lot of pests from settling. Yeah. Right. And so the if you can get coralline to grow uh, on the tank, whether I found the best ways is to find some source of coralline from a tank you deem safe fish. Yeah. Not, uh, not this 160. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you can scrape off a chunk of it and then kind of grind it up into a, like a powderish, turn off all the pumps and let it settle out somewhere in the tank, that turns out to be the best way to spread it throughout. There's also that stuff like arc reef, the coralline in a bottle. Oh, yeah. I've had, I, I haven't had a, enough experience with it to say. Is that the only thing you seeded your 360 with? Nah, we ended up putting corals in there too. Which, that, that tank had so many ups and downs, it's hard to really point pin, the finger. You know? yeah. I, I'd love to test that again, whether or not coralline in a bottle actually works, but uh, I'd love it. It should, if it doesn't work that way. I mean, I've always thought that somebody should just grow it on little glass slides oh yeah you know and then overnight you the glass slides are the different colors and you can just scrape it off with a razor into the tank That'd be know, great. Like, somebody should do that if, if you're farming <laughs> uh if you're gonna farm rock do the coralline thing too well you know you think about it like you know it's hard to like look at bottles of water and feel like there's anything in them right? <laughs> but if you send me a little dish of trays of coralline algae growing on the surfaces that i'm scraping off I know what that is. That's material. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. So it's probably not only helpful, but also marketable, I guess. Uh, but yeah, uh, Coraline algae, if you can promote it. And the best things you can promote Coraline algae, by the way, is maintaining an 8.3 pH as well as a, a, a high alkalinity. So those two things will you know, fuel Coraline algae growth. I've found that low pH tanks just don't grow mm. uh, uh, Coraline algae. In fact, what we found at one point was a lot of people believed that Kelkwasser tanks grow coralline algae better. Oh, it right? makes sense if your Kelkwasser is raising pH. So you can say, well, is it the Kelkwasser or is it the two part? It's because the Kelkwasser is raising the pH more than the two part is, the hydroxide. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and that's at least what I believe anyway. But high pH will allow thing organisms to calcify faster. They can precipitate the skeleton out faster. We've seen it time and time again. So mm -hmm. if you want to promote coralline algae, that is the best way to outcompete many pests that grow on surfaces. 100%. Uh, another hard lesson, gulf rock is a double-edged sword. This one is uh, one we're learning actually right now. This is my first experience with like gulf rock or real actual uh, live rock shipped uh, overnight from the, the ocean. So I've never seen it before in firsthand, never used it before firsthand. Uh, but once we got it, I was like, man, look at all the cool stuff on here. If you walk the average person around all 12 tanks and you didn't tell, I only asked them, which one do you like the most? A hundred out of a hundred picked that one. Yeah, there's orange sponges on there. There's life on there. There's big giant gorilla crabs that are actually eating the, some of the coal clownfish, but... It's uh, double-edged sword, though, meaning that hey, you want like instant cycled and ready to go. Like we said uh, up at the top of the last one, uh, you know, one of the, uh, was it uh, uh, live rock is one of the best for the first twelve months of a brand new reefer, you know, because mm -hmm. it gets you there. Uh, it's like it's almost instantaneously, but then it comes with all those pests. Dude, you look at it like I said, hundred out of hundred. Look at it, say, oh, look at it. It's covered in purple and orange uh, sponges and coralline. There's zoanthids growing on it. There's feather dusters growing on it. There's all these little critters already on it. Uh, cool. Hundred <laughs> percent. Right, but also all those pests that come with it: fish eaters, parasites. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
I think one of the things I would do if I use golf rock is I would go fowler or, or, or I would go fit without fish for two months. Mm. So I, I would make sure like the parasitic isopods and stuff like that. I figure out whatever the life cycle of those types of things are. And I would have the tank up and going without mm. those things in it for a period of time because yeah. I don't want that's the stuff that matters to me the most. I don't, I don't want to see my fish with a parasite hanging no. off of it. I just want to, I just want to order live rock, uh, again and put it in its a tank of its own just to see what, what it comes with and watch that stuff live. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just excited to see the pests. That's one thing that, uh, like, Oh man, like, cause it just like a surprise every day. Was, we joke all the time. Like some of you probably heard the story before, but, uh, we had a, a gentleman here, Brandon <laughs> that bought some of this and, and he came to work one day and he's like, dude, I have a fish in my tank and I didn't put any fish in the tank. <laughs> you ever heard of a hitchhiking fish before? And uh, i like, oh my God, do you have cucumbers? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I put some cucumbers in there. Like you got a butt fish. <laughs> There's uh, this long little skinny fish that lives inside the butts of, uh, of cucumbers. And so you get these kinds of things, you know, uh, golf rock, those are fairly common. Uh, uh, people get octopuses and stuff oh, yeah. and like yeah. you get all kinds of really crazy stuff. You probably don't know how to care for octopus is the sad part, but nope. <laughs> like you get all kinds of really weird stuff when you, when you get that level of life. Cause what they do with that golf rock is they take all that mind rock from Florida and they just go drop a whole, you know, container ship of the stuff off the side of the uh, boat. They come back three years later and collect it all, and now it's filled with all kinds of life. It's ready right? to go. Yeah. And they bring it back to you. And because it's it's not like at one point we decided to get air rock from from uh, Fiji. And so it was kind of the same thing. They would pull it out and put it in Fiji. And that Fiji rock, you had to turn it around in LA, get it immediately on a plane because all the sponges, all the other stuff on it starts to die pretty rapidly when you pull it out of water. Mm. And they actually you know, to do the dry or not the dry, but the like normal Fiji boxed rock that sits on a container ship for two months, they'd scrub all of the sponges and all the life off of it yeah. first, right? Well, with the golf rock, they bring it in and they usually put it in bags of water and then ship it airport to airport. So you'll have to go to your local airport and pick it up, but it's still sitting in bags of actual water. Mm. That's why all this stuff stays alive. And some of you are like, oh, that speaks to me. And other people have gone through it. will say, yeah, that was a really cool experience. Like, I'll just say for me, it was a really cool experience for my first tank. I, it, I think it was part of why my first tank was so successful. And I'd never do it again. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Would you do it? Uh, yeah, just because I, I want a tank that just has, I'm not going to, I'm not going to set that tank up for anything else. I'm just going to buy the golf rock just to see what just comes to on see it. see what comes on yeah. it. That's an interesting take on mm -hmm. it, actually, because you actually get all the weird stuff out of the ocean, right? Uh, all right, next one. Uh, hard lesson learned, uh, assuming that epoxy and glue will go away. And my aquascape in my office, I did nothing but gobs and gobs of super glue, and now I've got gobs and gobs of super glue two years later. Still can see it. Yep. But didn't it didn't get hidden. So a lot of people say, like, oh, why are you spend all that time trying to hide the glue and the epoxy? And it's because <laughs> it's an eyesore. You know? And yeah. like, oh, it'll get covered in uh, coralline algae and gunk someday. If you if you uh, let go of that mindset, you'll be a lot happier and you won't be like you won't be surprised when you 
not still see epoxy. I'm just going to say it like it is. I think part of this is just defense against the fact that I didn't do it before and I want to feel okay about it. Could be. <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't know because if you cover it up and make it look nice, it'll look nice from day one. And the part that a lot of people miss is the parts of the epoxy and glue that aren't exposed to light are never going to grow coral and algae on it, mm. right? And so you're just going to see that stuff forever until something grows in the way. There is a way to hide <laughs> it uh, day one. If you can, do it. Put some super glue down and spray yep. some sand on it. Even, even if you just, just put some super glue and sand on it and it didn't even match the color that you're looking at. That will eventually grow stuff on it. The sand will actually grow stuff on it faster than the purple epoxy mm -hmm. or whatever will. So Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Not being able to move the 170. Oh, hard lesson. And we already talked about this a little bit, but for us not being able to move the 170 or the 750 and actually the 170, the E170, we put a yellow tang in there in the beginning. Mm. Right. Uh, and the, the process we always said is, hey, dude, you just when you the tang outgrows the, that small space, you just move it. Well, you know, it got to the point where it was big enough that it needed to be moved out of that tank. Uh, but we couldn't catch it because there's so much coral growth in there. And eventually, man, we had to trim the hell out of all the coral and yeah. you broke a bunch of it trying yeah. to get this fish out. Yeah, I tried to chase him with a tube because they got he, there's a little nook under in the back behind it and kind of wiggle him out, blow some bubbles in there, try to get it out. Yeah. Got it eventually, but... It if it could have just lifted the aquascape out, easy. took the fish out, and put it back in. Done. Yeah. So especially for small tanks, if you're going to put a fish in, you know full well is going to outgrow this tank. The one aquascape that's stable and built is a single piece. Big yeah. win. Yeah. Not just for ease for you, but even uh, lack of stress on everybody else, corals included. Hmm. Like if I can remove this, if I can pull out my rock, get what I need, and put it back together like that, uh, I don't have to do what I did on the E170 and just chop, 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 coral, haircuts, you know, fissure, uh, all, yeah, there's detritus, there's everything, you know, you're stirring up everything. So some of you are probably already bought in, but I'll tell you, everyone who's built an aquascape that is one piece and had uh, the satisfaction of being able to pull it out in one piece will say, Oh, I'm so glad I did this. You know, <laughs> so uh, I don't know. The a hard the the hard lesson here also is uh, you heard this already, but uh, build it dry and then cure. Don't cure the rock first and then the curing all the rock first kind of came from an era which wasn't all that long ago. Which yeah. is I'm just going to stack and glue it together, yeah. so it really doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be out of the water that long, or I can even do it underwater. Not doing that anymore. Yeah, well, now build the aquascape and then go cure it in the, you know, the like uh, either a horse trough or uh, your salt mixing bin or whatever it is. Uh, if you cure it with a epoxy, you can actually just set it on pretty much any side. I mean, our our whole aquascape, I'm flipping them around all over the place and they never broke. And in fact, I, I, I look for it to break. I'm, I'm intentionally turning it upside down and doing work on it so that it does break uh, so I know where the weak spots are and I can actually put more oh, epoxy yeah. in. Mm -hmm. So embrace the break. <laughs> all right. So what's next? <laughs>